0: This podcast is brought to you by Free Buddhist Audio, the Dharma for Your Life. Our work is funded entirely by donations from our generous listeners. If you would like to help us keep this free, make a contribution at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash donate. Thank you and happy listening. Okay, so, um, this is the time of year in Triratna. We regularly uh, turn our attention to this figure of Padmasambhava. And he is both a, a mythical being, but also an important historical figure in the establishment of uh, Buddhism in, in Tibet. And why he's particularly celebrated, I think, is his ability. Uh, to transform the lives of individuals and the culture that he uh, found himself living in. And his methods were often seen as magical. So he is, Samba is the archetypal magician. Uh, Robert Moore, in his book, lays out two main qualities of the mature magician archetype. And these are the... uh, the knower, or the initiated, and also the master of technology. So what I'm going to try and do in this talk is to show how these qualities uh, (coughs) manifest in the stories of Padmasambhava, and perhaps more importantly show how these uh, useful, even vital, these archetypal qualities are to support and mature our own spiritual life. So Moore tells us that to be able to access the magician archetype fruitfully requires that we've been initiated into knowledge that assists us in understanding, knowing deeply and effectively working with particular skills to affect and transform our inner and outer worlds. And he goes on to say that these skills are most powerfully engaged in through participation in ritual. He then goes on to say that the magician is also someone who is described as being really skilled in the journey of descent. So this uh, develops the ability uh, to orientate and transform through seeing, knowing deeply, the forces at play in ourselves and the world. So we need to descend to really understand and know ourselves deeply enough to... uh, understand these forces in our lives. So in a Buddhist context, these two powers of seeing, no knowing deeply the forces at play in the human psyche and being an adept at participating in the technology of ritual are obviously key tools for participating effectively in the spiritual life. And through these skills the magician is able to negotiate and make use of the two apparent poles of experience. So the apparent poles obviously are self and other, and also inner and outer worlds. And the middle way of Buddhism recognizes that all polarities are provisional. They're useful concepts, but they're ultimately arising out of our delusion or ego pride. So ritual and the journey of descent helps us experientially to see through these magical illusions and develop the foundation or the ground of clear seeing. And this clear seeing is able to bear multiple meanings. It's able to bear ambivalence, contradiction, <coughs> and the fluidity of significance. So these changeable meanings, changeable Aspects of the two poles are held in a a much uh, larger ground. And it is this ground which is developed by the magician uh, archetype. The magician archetype develops the ground to be able to hold difference, hold ambivalence, uh, contradiction. And uh, out of that ground wisdom and compassion emerges these two wings of uh, the liberated being. So when we're a Buddhist, or to be a Buddhist, really we are a magician in training. Sangharachata stresses that there's no such thing as a Buddhist in name only. One's only a Buddhist to the extent that one is engaging in practice, and therefore to be a Buddhist means that we have been initiating into and regularly and consciously participate in the powerful technology of ritual. Now, when we use the word ritual, I'd actually also include meditation within that. Meditation is, in a way, uh, a ritual, in the sense that it has a form, it has an intention, it holds a certain... uh, Experience it contains certain information, certain uh, shapes, which lead us into uh, a particular state, encourage us to uh, to work consciously, to move into a, uh, a particular state. Ritual is the primary technology to invoke, access, and open up to the influence of the transcendent. It creates a perspective. That allows us to know that everything is ultimately sacred. We inhabit a sacred universe in which all experience contains, or maybe better, it opens out into the transcendent. The world is utterly mysterious. The living world, all that we sense, every moment we meet and pass through, is sacred. Through ritual, we are supported to make the movement from an ego-bound, self-referential, self-serving life to a life of service to this mystery. The spiritual life is making actual the aspiration to notice, honour and serve the transcendent manifesting within the ordinary. And the other vital aspect of practice is that we are preparing the vessel or the container of our being so that we can actually be of service to this mystery. And to be able to prepare the vessel, we have to make the journey of descent. And that is we have to enter and deeply understand the conditioning views and the habits that we've created to build this sense of a separate selfhood. So self-knowledge is really vital for clear seeing. Without it, we only ever see the world and act in it through the veils of our samskaras. We're enthralled, seduced, distracted by our habitual delusions and illusions. And what is fantastic is that Sri Ratna, this order that uh, Sankarach has created, is renowned for its emphasis on friendship and community. And what this gives us is endless opportunities for study, reflection, friendship, community living, community working. And these are really supportive arenas to expose these demons of our samskaras. When we work with, other, when we are in contact with other people, if we are in any real connection with them, our samskaras are going to become visible. If not to us, certainly to the others around us. This is the nature of. Uh, well, really, it's a powerful mirror. Uh, friendship, community, work, and living creates a very powerful mirror, uh, which is there to support, uh, support our descent really, support our journey uh, to become, to clarify the samskaras that we are carrying. And that support, uh, we're very fortunate in that the support of this community creates a lot of care and kindness that we really muster that, really draw that out for ourselves and for each other in this work. So the mirror of community provides us with support, guidance and inspiration to effectively make this treacherous journey, to explore the world of ego and even the terror of selflessness the uncomfortable, humiliating and confusing journey gradually reveals the deep conditioning patterns of the samskaras so the samskaras just to, just to name them so the samskaras these are the habitual forces that define the way we see and know the world the more we see these uh, veils these ancient forces at work the more we see them the less uh, unconscious power they have over us. They still will be operating, but by being able to see them more clearly, we're less likely to uh, get enthralled or so enthralled by them. We can see them coming up, and one of the uh, uh, ways of working in them, if they're just there with us, but we don't act out of them, in a way that's how we change these samskaras it's as if that sitting with them without (coughs) acting out is actually burning off the karma of these previous uh, of these forces within us and the more we burn off these samskaras the more effectively we're able to serve the energy and the life that wants to be known that is moving through us or wants to move through us so paradoxically, the more that we let go of the bindings of who we think we are, these samskaras, the more we actually become ourselves. The journey of descent is actually a journey home to our true nature. And this is the mystery that uh, Padmasambhava calls us into. This is the journey of the magician. To really notice... What's acting upon us, seeing through it, seeing through those uh, binding illusions, uh, opening and releasing so that our true nature can begin to manifest more uh, precisely. So, what I'm going to try, what I'm trying to do here in this talk is to just offer uh, these words, and later we'll be doing the exercise, a vision quest, as I said. We'll be going on a vision quest just to uh, uh, draw out these two aspects of practice. Participation in ritual, but the journey of descent. And hopefully through that we'll begin to get a better sense of this archetype of the magician and also to be able to honour the guru Padmasambhava. So let's just say now a bit about ritual. So the great visionary William Blake wrote a very famous poem um, about seeing the world in a grain of sand. And this ability described by Blake to see and know the riches carried within the ordinary events and objects of life is vital to be able to participate in ritual. It's a world often seemed invisible, absent to us and yet it then breaks in upon us. It disorientates us. And in those moments, we see and know things utterly, clearly and directly. And to participate in ritual, the eye of the imagination needs to be initiated into sensibility to this invisible world of symbols, of signs and image. And Blake describe this ability to know and participate in the world through the eyes of the imagination as double vision. So this double vision, one's able to see and engage with the literal level of experience, but simultaneously one is looking out, knowing the world through the eye of imagination. And this eye of the imagination allows the image the symbol, and especially the uh, the world all around us, to speak, to reveal itself to us. At the emotional level of experience, we know in an utterly different way to the earthly, ordinary eye. We see or know through intuition, a direct knowing that comes into the senses through the heart body. Even knowing is slightly limited as a term because there's no self-referencing in this sort of direct heart-body connection there's no self-referencing so the cognitive aspect of experience comes definitely secondary so it's this level of knowing is like revelation really. receptivity and opening to the mystery of otherness and the always just beyond just out of uh, knowing and in that uh, I thought I'd just read a poem by David White Mm -hmm. I really think he really is able to encapsulate this sense of uh, this experience it's called Traveller the heart's a close in horizon that holds all distance but gives no explanation to the tidal scour of life. Taking us on and away from the home we know so well, tearing us from the place we try to inhabit so firmly, the anchorage all gone, the faces all changed, only the run and flow of a life moving far beyond even the eternal voices of those we love as if God were all a rival and understood only through a weighted tidal anticipation. Understood only through a weighted tidal anticipation. As if we were meant to know what we wanted to know, only tomorrow. As if we were after all from the beginning, born far beyond ourselves. For whole being, a travelling onward ghost that sees itself only in looking back. Always just about to find a home. Always just about to find the arms that will never fall away. A self as touch and go, a breath, an essence, hardly ever held, and a visitation able to become real only through the miracle. Fully contained in the shift from this that there are some amazing lines in that poem which I can... through double vision we are drawn into this state of longing but also of unknowing this sensing that there is more than but actually the, the actual experience. We're either in it, and it then, that we're so in it that the longing, the unknowing almost drives us towards that direct experience. So there's participation without the obscurations, without the samskaras. There's participation without the limitations of the already known, the wished for, the fantasies about how things are, how things should be. It's a more open knowing. It has this flavour as what is often described as the open dimension of being. Through open participation in life, we simply receive the value, significance and underlying meaning that is being carried and emerging alongside, within, and through the literal, apparently mundane level of experience. This is the double vision. And Padmasanthva, this classical pose of Padmasana, really echoes this quality of double vision. So what we see in the pose is that we have one leg of Padmasana stepping out into or towards, towards the world, whilst the other is, remains in meditation. So there's this direct engagement with the world while simultaneously seated and receiving everything into the open expanse of meditation. This is the poise, the pose of double vision. And ritual is <coughs> the territory, the devised form that carries us where we can know directly this double vision. It creates a threshold through which we step and enter a very different, rich, and meaningful sense of life while still standing in the ordinary. One of the most important aspects of ritual is that it opens to what we describe as the termas. So, in the life and liberation of Padmasambhava, there's a very long section describing the termas. A terma is a teaching that's been hidden and left behind for us by the great magician. There are teachings hidden by Padmasambhava for the benefit of future generations. The magician recognises the truth that the termas are hidden within every moment, every meeting, every sound, every turn of the corner. Padmasambhava has hidden treasure there, here, for us. So we are surrounded by and soaked in the treasure of Padmasambhava. The initiation is to recognize the treasure, the termas, which are within the utterly ordinary. So we have no need for distant snow clad mountains hidden caves or lost valleys the traditional realm of Padmasambhava the termas are here found in everyday experience and the art of the magician is to train in double vision to see the ordinary world as significant image sign and symbol to train in accessing direct knowing through the heart and body so that we can discover Padmasamba's treasure all around and amongst us. This is from uh, Canto 91 of uh, Life and Liberation. The term of treasures of the five times, the five perfections are rich, and the base and the roots of the treasures is wide. Treasure of the ancestors, treasure of the descendants, Treasure of the Masters and Arch Treasure. Each one of these four include 18 times 18 treasures and each one of the 18 reveals 5 times 5 perfections. Sealed Treasures Sealed Hiding Places Sealed Secrets Profound Sealed Shelters of the Treasures Sealed Stability Sealed Treasures Sealed Depth The shelters of the treasure are perfect and their depth has five particular aspects. They are deep in the earth, deep in the water, deep in the rocks, deep in the monasteries, deep in the trees. And under this quintuple aspect, there are the deep shelters of the center and also those deep in the east and the south and the deep shelters of the west and the north. Sealed aim May a revealer bring the treasure to light It is the Dharma, magic, mathematics and medicine So the magician purposefully uh, participates With the eyes of the sensing mind And with the eyes of the heart and body And this allows the magician To discover Padmasambha's treasures of termas here, in the everyday. And this way of participating in life means that we can really relax and stop trying to fix or predetermine life. The treasure, the knowing of the next fruitful step, lays within an actual, apparently ordinary experience, the small, uninvited revelations. And this happens because we recognize that life is one vast ritual space. Everything has a sacred purpose. Everything contains the teachings. We simply need to participate, descend into the actual, open into the sensations, the images, and allow the inner and outer worlds to speak and unveil unveil themselves so that we can be guided into our life. For anyone, man or woman, who has faith in me, I, the lotus born, have never departed. I sleep on their threshold. So Padmasamba is always here, scattering treasure at our feet. All around us, in the birdsong, the singing, the bells, the cracked pavements, we're surrounded by termas, and we simply need to relax open our eyes, open our heart-mind. So just to finish this section, just return to the image of Padmasambhava. So when we see him, uh, certainly in uh, uh, drawn images, painted images, we often see both the sun and the moon present, drawn either side uh, behind the figure. So we see that the magician inhabits a world where the linear time signified by the shifting sun and moon do not apply. And the fixed spatial relationship between sun and moon has also fallen away. In the magician's realm, space and time are fluid, permeable. This is the realm of the magician. And we all can see as well that he rests lightly cradling the Katvanga this staff the triple pronged staff adorned with heads uh, surrounded by flames and this signifies his consort so again we have this sense of uh, the, the magician's double vision the consort embodies the fires of wisdom the feminine Padmasambhava entwined with wisdom as he steps forward into compassionate activity, which is described as the masculine. And this dynamic relationship between wisdom and compassion is sometimes symbolized as sexual embrace. And this reveals the sense of ecstasy that arises through the magician archetype. There's a sense of real mutual delight, pleasure and play as the magician participates Moving through between realms, the literal and the imaginal worlds, not being fixed or bound by either, but opened and transformed by recognizing the multidimensional and open nature of reality. So, just now I'm going to say a little bit about the journey of descent. So to give this a bit of context uh, just to remind us what happens when we engage in practice so when we practice inevitably uh, things start to happen hopefully what happens is we get a sense of expansion of hope of seeing things in a, in a new a different way we may even get a sense of being less fixed about how we how we experience ourselves, how we think we or others are, or should be, or could be. And the consequences of this loosening and changes is that the belief patterns, the habits of response and engagement that create and have protected our fixed sense of self start to become more visible. So as, as our practice starts to impact on us and we start to uh, tangibly experience a different sense, a, a more expansive sense of ourselves. then these other forces uh, reassert themselves, at least come more visible. What tends to happen is we begin to notice more, uh, even question some of the habitual actions and ways of being. The central thing that really happens is that we really recognize the extent to which we are habitual beings. When we open to new possibilities, these habits become under threat and inevitably will try to reassert themselves. So when this happens, we really need to recognize and acknowledge that this is not a sign of failure. It's a really crucial aspect of the path because what it's pointing to is that we are beginning to meet or live on what's sometimes described as a growing, a living edge the old self is feeling under threat and trying to reassert itself and then the other parts of us is trying to move uh, kind of release, open, expand so there's this edge that we're working on where we're working with the old patterns, but also trying to allow the new to um, establish. In fact, one could say, if this doesn't regularly arise in practice, it suggests that we are simply drifting. We're stagnating or bypassing our experience and simply replacing experience with fantasies. So this process of being on this living edge, is actually ongoing. And the more we can stand and live on that edge, we can mature, because this creates a pressure that really brings the samskaras into view. The journey of descent is ongoing. And we begin to notice what we're doing to uh, avoid, control or misinterpret the flow of life. The journey of descent is coming into relationship to the samskaras as they become visible. And they're often felt simply as a sense of gripping or collapsing or numbing in relation to ourselves and our experience of others. So another section from the life and liberation of Padmasandhava is Canto sixty. Padma came to the castle of Mangyul. A fury of the region of Sangju, Jarmun the eminent enemy, thought she could crush the Guru between two stone mountains. He rose up in the sky, and the humiliated fury offered the heart of her life. As her secret name, she was called debt of turquoises and diamonds, and the Guru gave her a great treasure to watch over. Then, on the plateau of the sky, he reached the black castle. The white darkening of the glaciers thought a thunderbolt would destroy him, but the guru, surrounding her with one finger, swept her away into a lake. The terrified Darkness fled as far as the lake of Palmo Peltan. At once the water began to boil, the flesh dropped from her bones, and the guru, hurling a vajra, blinded her in one eye whereupon she rose above the surface and uttered this supplication. Face of the Master, O oh, Vajra Sodrang Saal, so. I swear I'll do more, no more harm. This solemn promise comforts me. What else can I do? I yield. I approach as the Guru's vessel. And she gave the heart of her life whilst he bound her by an oath. Her secret name, she was called the Unfleshed, turquoise and diamond lamp, and he committed a great treasure to her care. Then he came to Oyobrema, where the twelve earth goddesses each released a thunderbolt and tried to crush him between mountains. But by his blessings their thunderbolts turned to charcoal, their strength failed them, and the twelve goddesses together with the twelve tutelary ladies and the twelve from above and from below gave the heart of their lives. And the guru bound them by oath and to all of them he entrusted a treasure. So what might this all mean? So the image of the demonic forces being brought into the surface of the magician is this task of negotiating the reality of our samskaras. As they become visible as our spiritual life unfolds, these forces start to try to uh, undermine, distract, destroy our movement into a more open, expansive, pure form of being. So, how can we work productively? In my experience, this comes from real clear seeing and acknowledgement. So much reactive and difficult behaviour needs to be understood as displays arising from a part of us that is unnoticed, unseen or unacknowledged. The behaviour is an effect, not a root cause. The demons are subdued by being seen clearly as they are. In that simple act of clear seeing, they begin to open up to the possibility of change. What we're aiming for is these powerful forces to become aligned with our emerging values. Ultimately, we are looking for transformation. Transforming these demons into protectors and revealers of treasure. We've probably all had this sense of the power of witnessing when we or the other really feel seen, there is an easing, there's a natural shift that takes place. So the demon is only seen as such, or acts as such, when the focus is placed on the expressions, the acting out of the figure, rather than the figure themselves. When we see the underlying aspect of personality itself rather than the activity, then there's a sense of relief and easing. And this is why it's so often painful when people try to help or advise or rescue another person. So the partic- this is because the particular responses or actions are res- being responded to, and the actual aspect of the person Uh, that is creating these responses remains unacknowledged, unseen, unnoticed. I really think this is an important point that we need to really understand. To help ourselves or another, we simply need to clearly see the being behind the activity. We need to clearly see where the actions are arising from we need to look at the causes rather than the effects and I say this assuming that we understand that who we call me, I is actually a composite of many different characters who vie for control of the life they arise within And some of these characters are ancient. Some are children, some are adolescents, some babies, in need of support, encouragement and safety. Others are tyrants, bullies and judges, who need understanding and boundaries created around them. Then of course there are the lovers, the warriors, the kings and the magicians these great archetypes that each want to rule our lives and all these need to be in relation to the whole in relation to reality to truth, to the Dharma and all are naturally tamed and transformed through clear seeing and then are enabled to be brought in relation to the open dimension of the imagination and the sacredness of life for this is the purpose of descent. And its relation to the imaginal technology of ritual. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Please help us keep this free. Make a contribution at freebuddhistaudio.com forward donate. And thank you.